This week, I sit down with Daniel O'Reilly, also known as Dapper Laughs. Daniel is incredibly honest about his addiction and his journey to sobriety. This is a must listen for anyone who has had a struggle with addiction in the past, or if someone you love has had an addiction problem. Watching the numbers go up really helps me avoid burnout and keeps me motivated to make amazing content for you all. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button or click the follow button on whatever podcast app you're listening to. Thank you so much and enjoy the episode. Daniel, how are you? I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I've been looking forward to interviewing you for a while since I've seen all the amazing work you're doing around sobriety mm-hmm. and, and raising awareness around mental health, particularly I saw you had ADHD as well, and obviously I, I had to have you on. And I'm thinking, with, with what you know about ADHD now, like looking back into your early years, were there any signs? Oh, my God. Yeah, I was like the poster boy for what you consider like an ADHD child. Um, <laughs> and uh, it had been mentioned, it's been mentioned to me before, mm. but not something that I was interested in. Cause I just thought, I just thought I'm like, I'm normal. I'm just the way I am. Like what difference does it make if, mm. if, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't mentioned early enough for it to have maybe made a difference with my education. But when I was, uh, at school, I was typical class clown, couldn't sit still, um, messing around constantly. I could academically, you know, like, uh, with the maths and the English, I really struggled. I'm also dyslexic. Um, and, um, I only really found solace in performing arts, in um, drama, mm. you know, musical theatre. That's where I really flourished, you know, being active and stuff like that. Um, but I was, yeah, in trouble with the police. I got expelled from one school and all that. So, yeah, I w- and irritable and, yeah, yeah. It's so interesting because I've interviewed, like, comedians and, and people in the past who've said similar. They've said that they were the class clown. And mm. when we've gotten further down the line of, in the interview, they've, it's become apparent that they were kind of almost using that to mask mm. some kind of deeper insecurity. Do you think that's, do you um, relate to that? Yeah, I'm terribly insecure, but I mean, I don't, I, I, I you know, I don't know, like I've always struggled to control my emotions mm. really like, re- like badly. And, um, I get extreme highs and lows and, and mood swings and things like that. And, um, I come from, I don't know. I, I'm still not sure where ADHD comes from, you know, if, if it's like, you know, cause I, I, I've gone down different routes of research on it and you know, that it could be genetic, that it can, but I, I feel like the, the, the narrative that I most connect with, with where ADHD comes from is like, from like having quite a traumatic um, upbringing. Like it doesn't have to be like overly like, you know, like physical or sexual abuse or anything, but coming from like a, a turbulent, home you know my mum and dad broke up when I was very young um I was you know I didn't see my dad for a long time there was you know lots of there was some violence and things like that but I mean in my my childhood was very disjointed you know and um I think that that's where maybe I feel like it comes from because I kind of created a another self you know a Mm. way of like sort of masking how I feel and maybe that's where the comedy comes from and the performing the outward projection Mm. you know you think you, as a consequence of that trauma you might be almost in a state of hypervigilance mm. and just consciously continuously aware of danger and threats and that might lead to anxiety 100 percent. yeah i mean i'm always anticipating the worst especially throughout my life it's throughout my life i've had you know it's been one bad thing after another you know serious 
bad things have happened in my life. I've always recovered from them and learned from them and progressed from them. But I do sort of live in a state of worrying about what's next. But I think more so it's the people pleasing, the wanting the world to love me. I think that's where all comedians sort of, that's why all comedians are like, yeah. <laughs> I think because we come from a place of yeah. constantly wanting that um, <laughs> gratification uh, or that, that constant sort of, you know, uh, mm. acceptance from people. I think that's what the showing off, the being funny and that. And then when you mix that with the content creation, which has obviously become my my life, creating content online, it's, um, yeah, it definitely shows wanting people to like you. It's, it's fascinating because I wonder if, you know, the, the, it's almost like a bit of a cliche now, but especially when you're talking about the, the stand-up comic, the clown, perhaps the happier they appear on stage or, in, you know, in 2023 behind the camera, Perhaps behind the scenes, it might be a contrast or a contradicting mm. thing that's going on in their head, and they're just projecting that that alt, alter ego in a way. Yeah, I think it's with me. I think it's more. I know how dark I can feel, how down I can feel, and I want to make other people not feel like that. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So I think, and I feel like I cheat myself into being happy. I feel like laughter and positivity is contagious. So if I can wake up and I'm in a bad place, if I make people, I'm like uh, the way I behave online and it's the same way I behave with my kids and my, my wife, you know, if I can make them laugh, it makes me happy. Do you worry about what happened to you as a kid? Do you go, do you consciously make extra effort to ensure that your kids don't, your two daughters don't experience the same? That's, it's quite a, it's quite a tough one for me to talk about really, because my daughter's just been diagnosed or always going through the process of being diagnosed with ADHD, Neve. And, um, it's really, really apparent, you know. Um, you know, this, the school are being great with it and they do things at school to help them be less fidgety and they give them things to focus and they can give them time out of class and, you know, we're going through a whole process about neurodivergence and everything like that and I can see her being unable more so than my, my other daughter, Rue, mm. being unable to control her emotions. She's a lot more wilder and also the noise that's in her mind that i can relate to with my adhd it comes out through like constant like talking or making noise like this this morning i was saying to her knee you've got to calm down because she's there la, 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 ba, 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 and she's doing it but i mean it's wild mm. right and i'm the same in the morning all my ideas are flying around but then when i relate that to the reasons why i think i've got adhd or what's come from maybe having a traumatic background i think to myself well is it hereditary then or is it because through the problems that I have, I've had when she was younger, you know, through my addiction and how, you know, how maybe how I've been, if that's affected her. So yeah, it's a tough one. I've interviewed a fair few people who have ADHD and are parents. Yeah. And they said that becoming a parent was, was incredible, but it also amplified and perhaps exaggerated some of the traits of ADHD did you, did you find that at all when you became a parent? Yes, because it's emotions, isn't it? I find that the biggest, the most apparent part of ADHD for me is the uh, irregular emotions. Mm. And um, so like, yeah, you know, just, yeah, the worry, the fear, I think it just heightens all your emotions. Um, it, may, it, it definitely made me want to, it made me take it seriously, want to explore it especially when I, when, I, when I thought maybe my daughter had it originally. That's what sort of, that's actually what pushed my diagnosis was it was a mixture through my counselling, what I was learning in my counselling through trying to get sober mm. and then having, having, having kids. Um, when they started talking about Neve potentially being ADHD, 
I had to go for a diagnosis to find out if I was properly, like really. Is it a worry to see that in your daughter in a way, seeing how it's affected you with addiction? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 um, yeah. I mean, I've got, I've got, I, I kind of got two minds about ADHD. Like I, th I feel like if ADHD is understood, it's like they say, it's like a superpower, right? Um, I've got many different businesses. Like I manage different revenue streams. Um, I've got different projects, podcasts, stand up comedy, mm. films, da -da, and all this stuff. And I think without ADHD, I wouldn't, you know, people think I'm insane, right? Well, mm. I am slightly, but people think I'm crazy <laughs> to, you know, cause we're always looking for the next thing or mm. the other thing. Now I know to like, I've got, got to focus on not so many things, but it set me up now that I understand it and I can control mm. it. But yeah, it worries me that there's such a high percentage. I think it's something like eight, is it 80% of people with ADHD suffer with addiction problems? Something like that, is it? There's a, I don't know the exact percentage perhaps, yeah, but there's a definite link. There's yeah. a definite yeah, uptick. And, I, and I've, I'm, I've, I've learned through my counselling and through doing my uh, sobriety podcast mm. and stuff like that, that the drugs that they give you for ADHD to suppress the, the craziness of what, what it might feel like in your mind is the same, it's the same as cocaine, right? Ritalin, it's a stimulant. So for me, when I used to take cocaine, it had a sort of an opposite effect to what maybe the normal, my friends would be, you know, it'd make them feel a bit crazy and talk loads more and da, 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 and they'd be like a little bit wild and da, da. Mm. for me it used to calm you down slow everything down yeah it would take me out of my head mm. in fact you know it would take me out of my head and same with alcohol you know like alcohol would cut like i have so many the best way that i could describe adhd to anyone that wonders if they've got it or it's out there it's like a hundred different or maybe not hundred, but maybe 25 different thoughts of what to do in that exact moment all happening at once. You know, maybe I should do this. Maybe I should do that. Mm. And I, and the way that I know, cause I'm, cause you know, I, I watch a lot of stuff on online and, and um, other comedians taking the piss out of people with ADHD, you know, and I've, I even do a joke on my, my new, I've written a joke into my new stand up tour where I'm like, anyone else diagnosed with ADHD? And then I say, yeah. I said, did you get diagnosed on TikTok as well? Because there's so many people that are watching TikToks and they're mm. like, I've got ADHD. And I, I was very much, all right, I'll get the diagnosis, you know, for the sake of my daughter to find out if I have got ADHD to see if it's in the family or whatever. But I don't really know if I have, or I'm just like a little bit mental or just like over ambitious or just a bit crazy. Um, but now that I've had the diagnosis, I can feel it. It's weird. And because I'm sober. 100% because I'm sober. I'll be doing something and I'll be halfway through doing it and I'll be compelled to start doing something else when it makes no sense at all. I'll be washing up or something and I know I've got to finish the washing up. I'm right in the middle of the washing up. There's mm. no point doing anything else because it's like one or two little cups left or something. And I'll be like, nah, I'm going to go and do that yeah. quickly. <laughs> it's that executive function deficit or mm. that like impulsivity. And you get just that impulsivity which can get you hugely excited about a different task. Like yeah. you said, you could be doing the washing up and then suddenly you think of a business idea and you've got to go buy the domain now. You can't wait. Exactly. So you end up just abandoning the washing up. Exactly. Then, you, then exactly. Your, your partner's having a go at you because you haven't done the washing up and you're just like on your computer, hyper-focusing on the screen, planning the yeah. branding and all the logos. My God, yeah, that is exactly it, man. I've, yeah, I'm like, once I'm into something, I'm gone. Yeah. <sighs> you can get quite like, you can get quite angry or this internalized rage if someone interrupts that hyper-focus. Definitely. Do you find that? 
Yeah, because I know it don't last long or or that I, I get I always get I get frustrated that I'm finally interested in something. Like yesterday I done I, I yesterday I ran a marath- half a marathon thirteen point Did you? Go yeah, on, well done. 13.1 um miles, mm. 30, yeah, thirteen point one miles and got home. And she Miss was like, right, sit down. We're going to get a pizza and stuff like that. I was like, no, like, I've got to do something else. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So they were set watching a film mm. and I was sort of wandering around trying to find something to do. I just wasn't ready to settle. And that, that to me is insanity, right? Half a marathon, you should be lying down. I mean, my body was in bits, but I just wasn't. And sometimes I get really annoyed just trying to watch TV. I yeah, just yeah. sit there and I'm like, this ain't right. Mm. Weird. You find that your inability to settle down can cause issues in your relationship yeah um yeah not now now we kind of understand it she kind of understands it but mm. um the big problem that it caused in my was i always felt like i should be doing something that is it was such a weird feeling like even if i'd done loads that day i always felt like i should be doing something and then i'd get really angry mm. that i'm not doing something do you know what i mean so i'd be sat with her and she'd be like what's wrong i'm like i don't know i just feel like i should be doing something and she used to take that quite personally as like, I didn't want to be with her or I didn't want to be sat with her, you know? So she used to be like, oh, well, if you'd rather be doing that, then go and do that. And it would cause friction. Mm. But now she knows that I'm just tapped in the head with the, with the ADHD stuff. But yeah. It's such like, you see that the, the longevity of relationships massively improves once mm. that understanding of ADHD yeah. is thrown into the mix. Because exactly like you said, we could be watching a film with our wife, girlfriend, and even though we're on the sofa, my arm could be even around her watching the film. Like my mind could be somewhere in the else. Office. I'm always doing that. Yeah. And I love ADHD, to be honest with you. Mm. I quite like it. Yeah. I do quite like it. But because um, I, I, I feel like I'm part of something. I'm like, oh, I've got ADHD. And that's why that's part of the reason why I'm quite successful, because mm. my mind, my mind works differently to yours. But where, ADH, where I don't like ADHD is where I'm stood talking to someone new like yourself. Then I drift off to somewhere and then I see that they notice. I'm like, oh, now they think I don't like them or I'm being yeah, rude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 100 is so relatable. You can drift out, zone off. And sometimes I can pay attention to you more when I'm looking the other way. Mm. It sounds yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I say that to people. And that's why I'm trying to do a lot of awareness around neurodiversity in business. Like, let's just ditch old-fashioned things that say someone is professional mm. like a strong handshake good eye contact it doesn't yeah. sometimes if i'm looking at you directly in the eye it actually means i'm listening to you less yeah or thinking about what you're saying yeah 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 super interesting and the hyper focus as well you know that's a massive one and i attribute it definitely to some of the stuff i've done do you do you lean into the hyper focus when it happens yeah i well i'm, I'm a creative right so um my my life revolves around around me being able to create comedy content, right? Every everything else everything else that I do, business, my podcast, and everything, is that's just that's just extra stuff in my life. What mm. my passion is and my love and and my my skill and my talent, I guess, or what I really believe that I'm good at is my comedy and writing comedy, and it comes and goes. You know, like the creativity comes and it goes. And I used to spend a lot of my time being really frustrated sitting there going, come on, I want to be funny. I want to post, you know, cause I'm addicted to social media, addicted to my phone and all that. And the dopamine hits you get mm. from the likes and the comments coming in and stuff like that. And um, I have to find a subject that I'm interested in to write about or to come up with ideas about. Mm. And the ADHD is really apparent because if there's nothing going on in the world that's stimulating me to come up with an idea, I will try and force it. I'll get frustrated and there's nothing there. 
and but now I know if there's nothing stimulating me to make to make me want to write comedy or be funny to just leave it and go go and do something else and find something else that I can focus on right because when it comes I know so yeah when I feel it I see it and the hyper focus is coming in I engage with it uh, but that I, I find that that's quite difficult as well because if someone asks like now I don't bother doing things so I'm, I know I'm not going to be interested and if someone asks me to do something I have to be brutal you know if someone wants to spend time with me doing something and I know I'm going to struggle doing it and I'm not going to be interested in it I'm now finally through my sobriety I've got the confidence to say yeah I'm not going to do that sorry well, that's so important to avoid burnout to yeah. have that awareness and the confidence to not be a people pleaser and say yes to everything because that's such a common issue that I see from speaking to people on this podcast is mm. we overcommit. It's almost like because we're so scared perhaps of confrontation, we say yes to everything. Mm. And then we've suddenly got too much to do and then we end up burning out and letting people down, which can then cause huge anxiety. Yeah, and I also find that I, if I'm, if I like say for instance, I don't particularly, I play golf, right? And I really struggle with golf because I, I like golf, mm. but I only like golf for about an hour. Yeah. And um, golf golf is, I mean, nine holes is normally, what, two and a half hours, three hours or something like that. And I can I can, I can, can feel myself drifting away mm. from it. And some days I know I definitely ain't right for golf. It definitely ain't right for me. And I used to go anyway, and then I'd be on my phone or I'd be, or I wouldn't be paying attention or I'd kind of give up. And um, it's like that with many things in life. And and then people get pissed off. Why'd you come if, you, if you're not interested or you can't be bothered? Or we're talking to you and you're not listening. And do, so I just say no now and it's not right. Yeah. Mm. Do you think on the on the flip side, putting out the content when it doesn't quite go to plan or you don't get the engagement that you hoped for on social media, essentially the content gets rejected or you, do, you, do you think you're quite sensitive to criticism and rejection? <laughs> yeah, mate. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> we, we all seem to be. <laughs> yes, I'm the worst. I can, I can I, listen, I've been doing it for years and I still cannot get over negative comments. I just can't, you know, I, I mean, some of them are so blatantly ridiculous and after a rise that I can be intelligent enough to, to, to ignore them. But if there's slight truth in anything, you know, slight bit of truth in anything that's there, it can hit, it can ruin whole days for me. Mm. And uh, the emote, like for instance, I've got a box, right? So I've got a, a whole new boxing sparring kit and I put it online. I was like, done a video with this fancy sparring kit and there's one comment on there, can't believe you're blagging free boxing gear. Ha 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 ha. Right? And I was like, how do you how do you know they're not blagging free promo? Right? Uh, put that out. I thought that was really mm. cool, yeah, putting that out. But it still pissed me off all day because I had blagged free boxing gear, right? And it and it it, it was like, I don't know why it got to me so much, but it's like just these opinions ne mm. any negative opinion on me i'm in the wrong game because any negative opinion on me dents me hard for a long time i've spoken to people who don't experience this let's call it rejection sensitive dysphoria that's, mm. that's what the community has kind of labeled it like how would you describe the feeling when that gets triggered like um negative thought loops mm. that's how i'd describe it ne I, I get my mind gets stuck in negative thought loops why are they saying that oh my god they're saying that because is everyone else thinking that or oh, if they're saying that, then how is it else is it being perceived? Shall I delete that? Or what, why, they, why this? Why that? Question, question, question. I go back to question myself. And then I'm like, it's, it's mad it is really, because if I can take enough, to, if I can notice things that get me down and I can take time away from them and I start becoming present again, I appreciate everything that's around me, but I can be taken on a journey. Like so many, so many horrific, terrible things have happened to me in my mind that never materialized you mm. know in these negative thought loops it's what it's mad 
I, I don't get it. But it's, it's, it's the one part of ADHD that I'm desperate to master. When was ADHD first mentioned in your life? I think when I was, I was getting arrested, I was, I had antisocial behavior problems when I was, or maybe I was knocking around in the wrong, with the wrong crowd, but like around mm. college, you know, I was thriving in, I'd done performing arts at college. I was thriving in the music, in like the singing, dancing and acting, mm. but any like sort of written work and stuff like that, I was really just rejecting. And also I was having problems um, outside you know, drinking too much and everything like that. And it was kind of mentioned then, but not really something that seems like, what's the point if mm. I have, like I'm just about to finish college, what does that matter? And then uh, about a couple of years ago when I started counseling, because mm. I was having, I was having severe, I thought I was bipolar because I was having like severe ups and like devastating downs. And I was like, like really ha happy, fun and wild. Then I was like terribly upset down and depressed mm prolonged days although I also was heavily using cocaine and drinking do you know what I mean so <laughs> it was just it, it looking back on it now it's just come downs yeah. but but um but uh but uh you know I, through that I thought I'm bipolar you know because I'm having these mad mood swings but it was addiction mm. and then through that journey we and my counselor spoke about ADHD when I described some of the ways I was thinking how 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 I found it difficult to manage my emotions and um uh, the racing thoughts the mm. overthinking that that was the main sign for me. I think that the the because when you go so, sorry to go on, but when you go sober, the ma the massive thing about sobriety. If you have ADHD, I feel like through my ADHD, whenever it got a little bit too much, when the thoughts and the negative thought loops and everything that was going through my mind got too mm. much, I'd, I'd heavily drink. You know, I could I, or I could get because I was never in, in the last ten years. I don't think I was ever sober for more than like three days, four days. I was either drunk or hung over or drunk or on a come down. So I was mm. never like at base level for like 10, 15 years. And I think that once it, it, it would get too much towards the weekend or whatever, it would get suppressed with drink mm. and drugs. But through my sobriety, it hit me like a freight train, you know? It was like suddenly I was like, I couldn't drink, I couldn't do drugs, I couldn't escape it. It built and built and built. The, the, the ADHD assessment, how did you find that? I done mine online uh, for, via Zoom. Mm. Uh, it was done in two parts, so like an initial, an initial thing where she was like, "Right, we'll do this initial thing to see if you mm. if we think you should do the full assessment." It was a good few hours and all of that jazz, and it wasn't exactly cheap. But I thought it would be. I don't know. I thought the only thing I thought is maybe they test me for dopamine deficiency. Mm. That's one thing that I thought because clearly I think I've got dopamine problems. And I think that's a big contributor to, to ADHD or a good signal of ADHD maybe. But I found it inter really interesting because my answers that I was saying to her in relation, the questions that she was asking me, I knew. I, like she'd asked me a question like, do you find it difficult to do this? Or da, da, da. Mm. And when I was answering them, I already knew. And she actually said to me on the, uh, the, the lady that done my test, when she'd done the initial like hour, to see if I should have like the proper prolonged one when mm. she was doing like her assessment. She, she went, well, aside from the answers to the questions, which I'll, which I will go over uh, on my own, aside from the actual answers, visibly watching you do this test, you changed position eight times. You brushed your, I brushed my teeth during, during the <laughs> test. I changed my top, which I mean, is weird because I'm on a zoom anyway, but off screen, I changed my top. I'd brushed my teeth. I'd changed, gone, gone from sitting on the bed with the laptop to sitting up the top. I started writing something else. I lost fight. Like she said that you, you were on your phone. She'd made a note of all the times that I'd picked up my phone and that I'd text. 
and everything. So aside from the answers to the questions, mm. just visit, she said, just visibly doing the test. She's like, you're the, I think you're definitely there. Do you know what I mean? We, we definitely should move on to the next section of, of, of this thing. That's so weird. The, the psychologist, aside from everything else, she said, just by looking at you on the zoom call, I can diagnose you with ADHD. Mm. Um, I didn't brush my teeth, but I did a lot of the other stuff. When she said you have ADHD, how did you feel? I, I think by the time I'd done the test, I knew because of everything she was asking me and how I was responding. I mean, I think I'm intelligent enough to go. Well, normal people would probably say that, but this is how I feel. This is mm. this is this is what I do. And when we were talking about it, and also through my counselling at the time, I become and through my sobriety, I, I I started to become really aware that it was difficult managing my thoughts. When did you notice that alcohol was becoming a real problem? When when I had to kind of slow down because of life when I had, when I had kids, maybe, I mean, not even when I had kids, but for, I, I, the best way to answer it is the, when I noticed alcohol and drugs were a problem was when the idea entered my head that maybe I shouldn't, I, I am doing too much and I tried to slow down. That's when I knew because I couldn't, you know, um, it's such a difficult question because when I look back at my life and all the carnage that alcohol and drugs had caused more or less every, or majority of the negative things that I've done or caused have been associated with drink and drugs. I still, up until three years ago, or no, up until probably two years ago, I still would never have thought that I had a problem. It was only until I tried to stop. You think there's a, a big bit of denial when you've been sober for a little bit, and you were sober for six months, right? And mm. then you drank again. Mm. What In that moment, if you zoomed in in that particular moment after those six months when you had another drink... What, what was going through your mind at that particular point? Well, I'd caused, I was, um, I was having like massive breakdowns on like once a month, maybe on come downs, you know, when I was, when I was mixing the alcohol with cocaine, mm. I was like freaking out at home. I don't know if it was paranoia stuff or like these episodes, right. Where the world, it probably is a mixture of the ADHD and the alcohol and drug abuse or whatever, but the world was just becoming too much and I was having these breakdowns. And um, my wife was just like, I'm, I shouldn't, I wasn't married to her at the time, but I've been with her for 10 years and she was just sick of it. You know, me disappearing for uh, an evening or whatever. I was getting pissed two or three times a, a week and I was like, but this is, you know, I work hard. Look at your house. You know, mm. this was the addict mind. I was like, look at your house. Look, we've got money and, Da, 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 da. I'm working, I deserve a release. She'd had enough of it and spoken to me about it and said, you know, the drinking turns you into an arsehole and stuff like that. So I gave up drinking to keep her happy, really. Mm. It wasn't, you know, I didn't think I had a problem. I was like, all right, I'll, you know, I didn't want to lose my wife and my kids, right? So I was like, all right, cool. Well, it's only drinking, so I stopped. So I stopped, but then um, I got bored really quickly. It wasn't six, I didn't do six months. I think it was... It was just under, it was three or four months, maybe a bit longer. And, um, but I wasn't doing it for me. I was doing it like to her and to prove to myself that I didn't have a problem. Mm. You know, I, yeah, I can give up drinking and, and stop. So I just, uh, I, I didn't change my lifestyle or who I was hanging around with. I just went sober. And then I got, I thought oh, I've proved it now for long enough. You know, I've put the work in. Um, I always knew that there'd be a time that I'd, you know, when I'd, done enough i could come back and then it was mm. christmas and i was like it's the best time of year and plus i'm only going to come back and have a few drinks here and there mm. you know what i mean and i definitely ain't going to use drugs again but within a week i was back in the mix of it 
full on. And within two weeks, the arguments had started again. And within three weeks, I was doing drugs again. And um, and then I kind of knew, I knew then that I was a little bit in trouble. So mm. I actually tried to consume as much as I could, I think, before I'd have to stop again. So it escalated. And then I had my stag do. So I thought I'll wait till after my stag. Then I had the wedding. And I thought I'll wait till after the wedding. And along the way, I was just causing carnage mm. until she'd had enough again properly. Was there like a particular moment, like a particular last drink that really made you aware that you had to stop? Yeah, there was a weekend. It was um, uh, I'd, on, the fr on the Thursday night, I'd gone out and, and got drunk and used. And then um, I'd woke up in the, in the morning and uh, had another one of these downturns and she'd just had enough and kicked me out. And um, I came back and the, f um, the Friday, you know, she let me back and she was like, you know, you, this is why you shouldn't be drinking and all mm. doing drugs, you know, it was so much better when you were sober. But the next day we were flying out to Marbella. I had a film premiere for the last heist, a film that I produced and I was starring in. And um, we were flying out together and she said, she gave me another chance basically because it was a big weekend for me. And she was like, look, we're going together. Let's just try and go there together, but I don't want you to drink, you know? Mm. And I was like, I can't go in Marbella. Like all my friends, everyone's going, I can't go and not drink, but I won't use any drugs. Um, and as soon as we landed, I started drinking, um, the argument started and then I ended up using drugs and um, she had enough of it and flew home. Uh, but, it, but it was a massive bust up in front of everyone, mm. you know, all my, all my work people in the film industry. And it was quite clear what had happened. And then I just stayed and carried on drinking for another couple of days and using and like in this mist of, I don't know what. And then, uh, well, the addiction. Mm. And that was your last drink? Yeah. And then I, I kind of snapped out of it mm. and realized that she'd gone, she'd been gone. She'd gone home for two days. I didn't, you know, it, concept of time had sort of left me. Mm. And, um, and I couldn't go back. I couldn't go, I couldn't go back home. I couldn't, you know, it was over between me and her. Uh, I had no idea what, was going on with my kids for those two days. Do you know what I mean? I mean, they were with her parents, but I mean, I hadn't checked in or anything like that. And um, that's when I realized, you know, I was like, this is, this is well out of your control now. You can't, you can't control. Once you touch a drink or drugs, you can't control yourself. And I can't, I black out and just go for it. It's like, it's like this oblivion. It's like, it's like a Pandora's box for me. It's like, you know, all the worries in the world. Suddenly I'm like, I'm getting smashed and I couldn't care about anything else. And that's when I, that's when I realized I was ill, that, that I really was an addict, that I really, that I really was a drug addict and, a, and an alcoholic. And I hate saying it, but I also love saying it. I'm also like, it's liberating. Um, and then I come home and went to rehab and I went away for a few weeks and mm. to like a wellness rehabilitation detox thing. Um, and then it took uh, a little bit more time for Shelley to trust me again. But um, that was 11 months ago. What was the relationship like with your daughters at this time? Did they, did they see you drunk? No, they didn't. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, if I drank, I was out drinking. Uh, they maybe saw me hungover mm. and irritable in the morning. Um, it breaks my heart. They've probably seen me shout a few times. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that breaks my heart, you know, because I don't know what was going on in my mind, but, you know, shouting in front of the kids is, 
you know, it's difficult to put yourself, like to think of you doing that if maybe they were scared. But luckily it was once or twice, you know, screaming up the stairs at my missus or, mm. or whatever, you know, having a halfway through an argument. Um, but luckily never seen me like, never seen me drunk, drunk and like uncontrollable. Mm. But look, the, the, the whole point of it is, is, you know, by the time I'd so, by the time that had happened, you know, you have to hit rock bottom. Sometimes our partners have to have had enough of us in order for us to, to realize what's got, what we're doing to our lives. Mm. And I'm lucky enough to have gone through that before I lost them all. And, and now I had someone that, you know, she could see the good in me. You know, she always, she said she's proud of me now and she always, she just needed it to click. Do you know what I mean? She just needed it to click. Um, and when I was getting sober and we were kind of, when I wasn't at home, um, right at the beginning, the first sort of few days and few weeks, all I was thinking about is, because my kids are uh, four and six, I was thinking, you know, what are they going to remember? And that was my motivation. When they're 16, 17, what are they going to look back and remember? You know, these arguments and this these hangovers and stuff, or what do I want them to remember like over me? So now they get the best version of me. We have beautiful yeah. weekends. I'm not a parent, but you must be a better dad if you're not hungover and you're present and you're at that base level. Mate, it's, it's, it, it's, it, yeah, it's, mate, a hundred times, hundred mm. times. I don't, I, I, look, I'm, sometimes I look back and I beat myself up and maybe I can be quite hard on myself as a parent. I was, I was still, I was still there. I was, I was still a loving father. I loved my kids. Do you know what I mean? I spent time with them, but at the weekend on a Saturday and Sunday, I'd rather give them an iPad than take them out because I was hung over mm. and probably more irritable, like more, more like less patient with them because young kids are really annoying. Mm. Do you know what I mean? They are, <laughs> they are like on your case constantly. Mm. Um, and I had my own things going on, you know, and plus wishing the time away, you know, if, if it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I was wishing the week away mm. to the week, to the weekend to drink. That's my whole life revolved around drinking. Where was we going? Who's going to drive? Cause I'm going to drink. And are we at a barbecue? Yeah, you drive so I can drink. Mm. So I'm, I'm not present. When I was drinking, I wasn't as present. Now, I don't want to be anywhere else apart mm. from at home or out doing a bit of work. The only place I want to be is at home with them kids and and, that, and my wife. Your family must be really proud of your sobriety. Yeah. Um, yeah, they are. They are. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it's quite, it can be quite emotional sometimes if sometimes when... Um, you know, especially when the missus, you know, because I always knew that we were in love. Like I always knew that we were good together. It just didn't seem like it a lot mm. of the time because we were arguing. Uh, and now when I look back, I'm like, see, I was right. We are right together. Because once once you take out the drink and the drugs, mm. we are so happy. I mean, don't get me wrong. She's Northern. She's our woman. And she, she you know, we have we have little disagreements about if I forget doing something or something's mm. going on around the house but we don't shout at each other and argue anymore. And we haven't in, since I've gone sober, it's like, I just cherish the, the, I cherish what I've got now. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. You happy to talk about your father? Yeah. 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 I saw he, I saw an interview you did and you said that he, he made a comment about your drinking in, in 2017. Yeah. Just before he died. He, Were you drinking at that time? Yeah. I was, do you know what the crazy thing is? Now, when when we talk about rock bottoms, like the rock bottom that I described to you, which was eleven months ago, that was one of many rock bottoms. Mm. But that was that was the rock bottom for me that showed like I had no other choice. It was either drinking or it was either drinking drugs or my family. But I'd had many many 
other situations that were horrific because of drink and drugs. And my father's death was one of them. But he um, he started taking me aside and saying to me, one thing he always used to say to me is every time I see a video of you online or a picture of you, you've got a drink in your hand. And he kept saying that. And then um, we went to Las Vegas uh, just before he died. Me and my, my brother wanted us to go. It's me, my brother and my dad. And um, we arrived in Las Vegas and they were tired. So they wanted to go up to the room and sleep and wake up fresh to go in a helicopter across the canyon and all that. But I was in Las Vegas, uh, so I wanted to drink and find some cocaine and gamble. Like I did. That's what it's about, right? So that's what I thought it was about. So they said, um, no, we're going to bed. I said, well, I'm just going to go downstairs for a bit. And I disappeared for three days. And the, when we were there, they couldn't for my phone had died. I'd found drink, drugs, and gambling and whatever I was just on the rampage for three days but I thought it was like six hours Ooh. or something so by the time I got back to the room yeah. I opened it and it was where the fuck have you been what's going on they'd rang back home they'd contacted my my then fiance Shelly or you know and um, he was like you've got a problem you know mm. and even then I was just like mate we're in Vegas like, the worst place for a alcoholic yeah but, right? I, but i wasn't an alcoholic i didn't think i was an alcoholic then i was mm. like i was just having a good time but saying that i actually it started before that the flight was so long that and now see i look back all the signs were there i look back on it it's difficult for me to look back to be honest because i look back and i'm like because i kind of tricked myself into thinking oh i just became an alcoholic 11 months ago when everything went mad but i've been an alcoholic my whole adult life because on the even on the flight over there i got so excited at the airport i got drunk at the airport mm. and smashed on the plane fell asleep and passed out. The flight was so long that I woke up and got drunk again. I got smashed twice. I had two hangovers on the flight over there. And then I drank, even though after we'd had that whole argument, I drank for the rest of that holiday. I've more or less ruined that holiday. And um, yeah, it's like, yeah, my dad had a, yeah, it breaks my heart that my father hasn't, he, he didn't see me become a father and he didn't, he hasn't seen me go sober. So, you know, people say he's there, but it breaks my heart because I just lost my TV show, my career and everything. Um, you know, I'd really, what I thought was messed up. I'd, he'd been on this journey for me to become a comedian since I was six, 15, 16. I wanted to be a, a stand-up comedian mm. and he'd been on this whole journey with me, seeing me build it up to selling out, selling out tours, getting millions of fans and having a TV show. And then he just saw it all fall apart and crumble to the ground. And then, I guess saw me turning into an alcoholic and then he died. So it was tough. But you think he'd be proud of you now, right? He wouldn't believe it, mate. He wouldn't. I often, I often think to myself what, what he'd say, but I, I, I don't, I, I find it hard to sometimes to look at my life. I wonder who I am now. I'm like, I, I can't believe it to be honest sometimes because my whole being was wrapped up in mm. self-destruct really my coping me mechanism was getting absolutely annihilated but yeah i think if you saw me with my kids now he'd uh yeah he'd be proud you see it a lot don't you like people who are drunk for so long and then they they enter sobriety and because they haven't known sobriety really ever they they don't know who they are mm. so you then have to sort of start this new process of, mm. of self-awareness and building up an actual knowledge of who you are it's like you've had this mask of alcohol and drugs um on and and so you start this whole new journey and sometimes you don't you can like what you see and sometimes you don't like what you see mm. 
And it's that the, if you drank to turn the volume down on that racing mind, then you've got to deal with those thoughts yeah. now as, as a sober person. And that's hard. Mate, it's, it, it, that is what you've just said is exactly, exactly what it is. It's like drinking, drinking drugs aren't the problem. Mm. They're the solution to your problems. So the drinking drugs was this was the solution to my problem. My problem was I couldn't cope with being me. Mm. I couldn't sit with my thoughts and whatever trauma I'd been through when I was younger, whatever I'd seen or whatever I'd, you know, I think, uh, you know, when I was younger, I, I'd hide away within myself to take myself out of situations and alcohol gave me that and drugs gave me that. Mm. Um, and that's why sobriety is so hard. This last 11 months has been the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And um, it's simply because once you peel away the layers, you've got, you, and especially there's a massive realization of guilt and shame around your behavior. Mm. You know, even though for years and years and years, you think, mate, this is what everyone does. Everyone drinks, everyone gets smashed. Everyone has arguments with their missus. Everyone's missus is on them to fucking stay at home and da 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 This is what everyone's doing. Everyone's mm. going through this. It's part of being a man. Everyone causes these problems. Everyone has this drama when you peel away all the layers and then you, you're, you're like, right, you're trying to find yourself and then you realize who you are and not all of that's positive and you can't suppress them emotions. Them emotions are coming up and the realization, the guilt, the shame, you are desperate to drink at the very point that you're trying to go sober. So it's like everything is pulling you towards, I don't want to deal with this, I want to drink and everything else is pulling you towards, but this is your sobriety journey. And that, that battle for the first two or three months is horrific. I think it's a dangerous place for someone to be because they've, they've got sober. They've then got to deal with the guilt or whatever, the shame of what mm. they've done when they're drunk. And you can end up getting into a really dangerous place where you can't handle life yeah. drunk because it became unmanageable, but you also can't handle life sober. Yeah. And, and that's a really dangerous place for someone to be in. Exactly. And that's where, that's where, that's why you find that everyone that goes sober turns into like some sort of spiritual guru. You, that's why you find that people that go sober all of a sudden are doing ice, bar, ice baths or mountain climbs or like turning into fitness freaks because you Half need- marathons. Ask marathons, <laughs> yeah. Like, um, or on podcasts talking about it. Yeah. But um, it's because, it's because um, you need something else to make you feel good because it's so dark. You, it is dark. It's, mm. it, it, I mean, now my life is full of light. I mean, I even, I, I, I'm actually really proud of myself regardless of, you know, the, you know, I see, I see that everything I've learned from now that I've got a platform, I can, I can give back. So I, I try and find the positive in everything. And I don't, I don't even, even, even the rock bottoms and the things I've done wrong, I try and look at them in a positive light. I never blame anything on, on addiction and alcohol and drugs because I mean, that was part of my problem, but also I was selfish at the time. Mm. Um, I think it would be unfair to to just be like I was I was an addict so I was an arsehole. It's it's not the case, but but I think that's why we end up doing well being stuff. You know, like well being stuff. You know, you start working on your well being, mm. like trying to manage how you feel and that because it can get dark. Yeah, sorry, I'm going on. <laughs> <laughs> Based around your experience with addiction, what advice would you give someone who may be struggling with alcoholism? To not be afraid of what sobriety looks like on the other side, because uh, if you're anything like me, like drinking and drugs sort of becomes your lifestyle and the thought of looking over the fence at what sobriety looks like is really daunting, you know, because mm. we can use, we can end up using alcohol for everything to cope, to socialize everything. Um, and my advice to you would be 
just believe that it's better sober because it hundred percent it is. I mean, I, it does, it takes a long time to click, but trust me, it's better and you'll only ever get sober. And I'm a firm believer of this. If you change your complete lifestyle. So just, mm. there's nothing wrong with thinking, right. I don't want to see them people anymore. I don't want to go to them places anymore. And if you're not happy with who you are as a person, then just reinvent yourself that, you know, that's what I've done. I've completely, there's some people, the only thing I had in common with them was drinking drugs and they're not part of my life anymore. I don't dislike them. I just don't see them. And I've made my, I've made my whole life now about looking after myself so I can look after the ones I love. It's never too late to completely change mm. your lifestyle. Are you happy? Yeah, I am. I am. Um, in the genuine sense of the word happy as in like peace, I believe for me, because I don't, I think trying to chase happiness um, is a form like, is like, is, is dangerous for an addict, you know, because really what is happiness? Some people confuse dopamine with happiness, mm. you know, eating chocolate and feeling good, going for a run and feeling good, having mm. a cold dip, feeling good. For me, happiness is peace, right? So no drama. Like, you know, a lot of people say when you, if you go sober, it's boring. Yeah, man. I love that. I love no drama, peace and appreciating, you know, just the simple things in life that you can't buy. But yeah, I I, I have pinch me moments mm. daily where I'm like, this is all right, man. And I'd never used to have them. I never, I'd never had them before. I think a lot of people will relate to that piece. You know, you're either chasing whatever it is or you're hungover and anxious. Mm. And to have, just to be free of both of those. Mate, I'll tell you what, I, I've got some of my friends now that, I wish I could grab and shake and say, you got a problem, mate, you know, your, your life is a mess and you'd be so much happier, but I'd hate, I wouldn't because, you know, I've kind of hinted at it, but I can see them living for the weekend, mm. destroying themselves over the weekend and then being so hung over and a mess during the week that they're just desperate to get to the weekend to do it all over again. And they're just never nor at a normal, they're in a grip. Mm. What scares you? drinking again and uh not being a good father you know i don't i don't I, i'm 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 so in love with my the new version of myself that i don't i'm not tempted to drink alcohol or to do drugs but i'm worried that if something bad was to happen in my life you know like someone close to me passing away or I don't know, something uncontrollably devastating of how I would react because in the last 11 months, things have been all right in my life. Mm. Do you know what I mean? They've progressively got better. So, you know, if I look back through my life when bad things happen, you know, I, I don't cope with them very well. So fingers crossed when that does happen, I'm stronger, strong enough. Thank you so much for all the work that you're doing for the community. Um, your sobriety story it's fascinating and, and I think you're going to be helping a lot of people. A lot of people will listen, a lot of people will relate and, mm. and they'll see that it's possible to, to stop and to stay stopped and to make your loved ones proud and to, to live a life that is just free from all the crap that comes if you're, if you're an addict. Mm. So thanks, Dan. Thank you. And anyone that is on their own sobriety journey or sobriety curious, please come and check out Men Is Too Sobriety, my podcast. And I've also got a group, Men and Their Emotions, mates on Facebook for men that are struggling. We just openly ask questions and talk and have a conversation in there. And uh, thank you for having me on. I never thought I'd be doing 
positive podcast <laughs> like this. I'm normally on news night apologizing. So this is uh this is really good. Thank yeah, you. Thanks, I feel mate. proud. Thanks, thanks so much. Cheers.